The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning. I'm Neil Stroll, a faculty member here at the Institute for Transformational Leadership, as well as the guest host, substituting for Kate Ebner. And it's my distinct pleasure to welcome Professor Deborah Ancona to our program today. Deb is the Seely Distinguished Professor of Management at MIT, as well as the Director of MIT's Leadership Center. Deb, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation this afternoon. Um, now, our leaders, uh, our listeners might not be all that familiar uh, with the four-cap model of leadership uh, which you and your colleagues uh, developed. So I thought that may be a very good place for us to start. And maybe we could talk about the first two aspects of the model, about relating and visioning. What might you like to tell us about those two ideas? Uh, well, let me just step back for just a moment to, to give you a little bit of the history of the model. Uh, it was developed by um, three colleagues and myself, so Vonda Orlikowski, Tom Malone, Peter Senge, um, and myself. And what we did was we wanted to come up with a framework uh, for developing leaders um, here at the Sloan School. and. When we looked around at a lot of different leadership models and started reading a lot of leadership theory, um, what we saw were incredibly complex models, 17 capabilities, 32 capabilities, 84 capabilities, and we began to wonder, if you can't even remember what the capabilities are, how can you develop as a leader? Um, And so our explicit goal was to find a what we call an elegantly simple model uh, that takes into account multiple aspects of what is important to leaders. And we did this by, again, looking at theory and interviewing leaders who had made great change happen and, and kind of dissecting what they had done and then pooling those things into these larger categories um, so that people could learn it quickly and apply it immediately. Uh, So just a little bit behind the the history of what we did and why we did it. Um, So the two capabilities that you started us out on are relating and visioning. And um, it just so happens that the two that you've selected are the leadership capabilities that are written about the most. Um, So many people talk about relating and visioning. Um, For us, we have kind of boiled down relating uh, to four particular, four pieces. Um, One is 
what we call inquiry. Uh, so in a global, very changing world, you need to be able to understand other people. So an ability to put yourself, as a psychologist called perspective-taking, is a key aspect of leadership, being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand why are they so passionate about whatever it is that they're talking to you about. But, um, and again, inquiry and advocacy uh, are ideas that come from Don Schoen and, and Chris Argerus from Harvard. Uh, the, the other side of inquiry is being able to advocate for your point of view, not tell somebody this is what you have to do, but advocate, say, this is why I'm passionate about what I'm doing. This is my reasoning, my data, uh, why I'm excited about what this is. And so these two things, inquiry and advocacy, we see as key to having effective dialogue rather than arguing A, no B, no A, no B. There's an ability to get underneath at why those things are important. So pulling uh, actually on um, negotiation theory in in that part. Um, And then Central to my own research, um, external boundary spanning is key for relating. Um, being able to have a great network inside your team, inside your company is very key, but so is having networks outside of your group and outside of your company. So that external boundary spanning um, is is absolutely key again in this new world that we are currently living in when there's so much interdependence across units, across firms uh, around the world. Um, And then the last thing is support. Uh, At the MIT Leadership Center, we talk a lot about empowering other people, but in order to do that, you also need to support them uh, in the work that they're doing. And so Support is another part of that. So that's what we mean by relating because leadership is not a solo sport. Increasingly, as leaders, we have to interact with people who are very different from us, uh, who have different priorities, different ways of thinking. And so understanding and figuring out ways to, to dialogue and connect to those individuals is, is primary. Yeah. Visioning is old and yet... It comes up again and again and again as critical to assessments of great leadership. Um, so can you paint a picture of the future? Can you articulate what is it possible for us to do together? Um, can you create a compelling frame of why people should care about coming to work? What is it that they're doing? What is it that they're working toward? Can you help people see the greater whole, the meaning of what they're doing, the purpose of what they're doing, um, and being able to communicate that and to show your excitement about that are core issues of the visioning capability. Yeah. Um, you know, Kate Ebner uh, does a lot of visioning in her uh, consulting work, and she likes to draw the distinction between visioning with a big V and visioning with a small V. And I'm imagining that part of what you're talking about is that every leader should be capable of visioning with the small V. Well, I'm not sure I know what her differentiation is between the small and the big, but certainly visioning is something that every leader can do at every level, and that's core to our notion of what we call distributed leadership, that great companies have leadership at all levels. So 
you ought to be able to vision for your small team just as you're able to vision for the entire company or maybe even a set of companies or organizations. Yeah, I think that's precisely what she means by the small v. But you just introduced a term which I thought uh, listeners would like to hear about, and that is your ideas about distributed leadership. What can you tell us about that? Well, um, what we talk about a lot is the move from command and control to um, coordinate and cultivate. Um, And the idea that the top-down only version of leadership does not uh, work anymore. And so uh, we've just finished actually a several-year study, and we're writing it up right now, of the notion of distributed leadership, where companies do have leadership at all levels, where there is both top-down and bottom-up decision-making, where a lot of the core work, whether it's product development or process change, actually happens at lower levels of the firm. There's a lot more freedom and autonomy given to lower levels of the firm and then higher levels um, of management, if it is a very hierarchical company, have to do a lot more coaching and developing leaders and connecting leaders who are starting different initiatives across different parts of your organization. Um, So it, it sort of flips the organization around, which is not to say that you don't have that big V, as you call it, visioning, um, in senior levels of leadership, you do, but it is this up and down, uh, and part of how the folks at the top actually create that vision is by pulling together ideas that originate at lower levels of the firm. So, in fact, um, visioning is done by looking out from the top, but also pulling together what's, what's coming up from the bottom. Wow, that sounds very similar to what uh, Peter Singer was writing about years ago, about that organizations needed to become learning organizations. Well, learning is very pivotal to uh, distributed leadership organizations. I think what we've tried to do is go in and look a little bit more closely. For example, um, what do you need to make this kind of organization work? Um, So the people at the bottom have to have really high levels of leadership self-efficacy or confidence in their ability to lead. If if they don't have that, they don't step up and nothing happens. You have to build the whole system, which is actually very much in keeping with Peter's systems thinking approach. Um, so you need both individual self-efficacy. You need people who are entrepreneurial. Um, Those people need to be trained. It's not easy to come in and do those things. And they also need the what we call the game board, the the organizational um, context in which to operate, which means not that many rules, just a few simple rules, which means uh, simple processes. So the model is... is, um, much more specific on what do you need individuals and different types of leadership to be and what is the context in which that works. Yeah. Could you take a moment to define self-efficacy? I'm thinking that that might be a term that's not familiar to our listeners. 
Right. Well, so, so as I said, it, it has to do with leadership self-efficacy is your confidence level in your ability to lead. Do you think – so if you walked into, for example, an organization that practices distributed leadership and you – drilled all the way down, I mean, to the people who are testing things for product development or even um, to the people who are cleaning the organization, and you ask them, are you confident in your ability to lead, a huge percentage would say yes, much, much more so than people in more of a command and control organization who would say, no, my role is to follow, not to lead. And so it is the identity of a leader and your confidence that you can, in fact, enact that role. Ah, okay, that's very helpful. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, inventing and sense-making. Uh, could you tell uh, uh, the second two of the four, and then, of course, we need to come back and talk about the, the whole concept of a change signature, but could we start with you talking a little bit about what, what it means to be inventing? Sure. If you think about visioning as creating, painting the picture of what the future could look like um, and framing it in a way that people were excited about. Um, so um, we're going to, I don't know, uh, MIT talks about improving the world through science and technology or um and, and how we might be able to do that and we have these things. But then inventing is how do we get there? How do we create the structures and processes needed to move the organization ahead? And just like you have small v and large v, there's small i and big i. So small i is constantly inventing if we're working as a team and we're not going anywhere. And someone might stop and say, you know, we're not getting anywhere. Let's stop. Uh, let's get some in. I don't know, whatever it is that would be inventing, but how do you get around the roadblock that you have? So maybe we stop and get input from some other people. Maybe we add another person or two to the team. Maybe we uh, do some brainstorming about how to move forward in a different way. Uh, but it is what are the new structures and processes that we need to move to where we need to go? At the organizational level, it might be creating – uh, a new structure so that um, you add a division or get rid of a division. It may be that you uh, create a new, um, for example, one of the companies we work with, the engineers were making too many products that were aimed at a 10-year time cycle, and that's really not a good way to have a business operate. And so... Um, what you really need to do then is they invented a way to take projects that were coming up and, and being suggested and map them to time horizon, one year, five year, ten years, so that they could begin to select projects that were uh, across those different schedules, and that would be better for the business model. So what do you need to do? What structures, what processes do you need to put in place to move ahead toward your vision and goals? Right. Is, is, would I be correct in interpreting the idea of inventing is that inventing is a capability that you need uh, to be able to apply in the kind of increasingly complex environment most modern leaders have to face? Yes, because... Um, you know, we, we, we use inventing, not execution or implementation, because um, 
it is not just executing on a given way to do something. You often have to invent the way to do it, um, and you did not have to do that before. But with the world constantly changing, people are inventing ways, okay, now we have to have a joint venture where we didn't have one before. How is that going to work? Let's figure out how to make that work. So you invent a way to structure that interaction. Um, And we didn't have so much... um, Shifting. So I, I'm, I call it sometimes just-in-time structure. Um, we don't have a way to do this, so we need to figure it out um, is, is the way that I like to think about it. That's good. Well, you know, we're going to take a break in just a moment. Um, and when we return from the break, um, I'm hoping that we can do a little bit of a deep dive into the uh, fourth of the four-cap model, which is the idea of sense-making, and then also uh, take some time to... Uh, uh, explore the whole idea of what you call a change signature, which for me is a totally uh, new and I think uh, really creative idea that uh, I'd like to explore with you. So we'll talk about um, sense-making and change signature when we return. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back. We're here with Professor Devin Kohner from MIT, and we're talking about the four-cap model of leadership. Uh, we're now ready to talk about the fourth aspect of the model, which is called sense-making. Deb, what can you tell us about sense-making? Well, sense-making um, is a field. So sense-making is a word and a, and a field t- that was started by Carl Weick, who is a professor at the University of Michigan. And what's interesting is that many books and articles have been written about sense-making, and yet it is not included in most leadership models. And yet for us, as we talk to leaders, 
about what do they actually do in the process of making change happen. Sense-making is huge. So what do we mean by that? Um, we mean sense-making as understanding the context in which you are operating, answering the question, what's going on out there? Because if we have a very changing world, then if you're not keeping your fingers on the pulse of what's going on with politics, technology, economics, uh, what your competitors are doing, what your customer wants, um, you're going to be really out of touch. Um, if you're a political leader, oh, my goodness, you know, daily um, things are changing with the U.S. and our relationship with Afghanistan, with Israel, uh, what's going on in the Middle East. Um, it's just constantly a moving target. And so sense-making means that you try to understand what that moving target is. And we break sense-making down into three different components. Actually, this is, again, taken from Wyke, so um, I would like to give credit where credit is due. Um, we, we break that up into three components. The first is um, collecting data. So can you discover and, and get data from many, many sources and many different points of view? Uh, so... Explore, we call it exploring the wider system, and that means getting out there. Uh, so it's mostly not just quantitative existing data, but getting out and talking to people, uh, getting to understand, you know, what do they think is going on. Um, we have lots and lots of different examples from leaders who have come through uh, that show um, so I'll give you an old example. John Reed, who used to be the head of Citibank and then just stepped down, actually, as the uh, head of the MIT Corporation, um, will tell story after story after story. Uh, for example, dealing with the um, real estate crisis um, when he was the CEO of Citi. And people said, oh, no, this is, this is terrible. You're going to have a $2 billion problem. And in fact... He said, that doesn't sound right. And so he and his team did extensive sense-making. They went around the world and said, all right, what's happening in Southeast Asia? What's happening in Central America? Uh, what are the realtors saying is happening? And what are the uh, regulators saying is happening? What are the economists saying is happening? And so they they got data um, from people looking in the big picture, people looking in the weeds, people looking at the near term, people looking at the long term, and they just collected all these different viewpoints to get a better sense of what the issue is. And what they found out was it was more of a $5 billion problem than a $2 billion problem. So sense-making can help drive what you invent and what your vision is for moving ahead because you've got a much better view of what is. Visioning is what will be or what could be. Sense-making is about what is, a really good model of what is. So step one is explore the wider system with lots of different data and kinds of data and viewpoints. Step two, though, is mapping. Um, Carl White talks about leaders as cartographers, as map makers. So collecting a lot of data is not useful to you unless you can map it. What does it say? Um, can we have a common framework of 
the context that we're operating in? Can we all kind of agree? And um, that's a really key point. In, in our leadership classes, which I'm sure are similar to yours, we actually have people uh, interview other people about their jobs, assuming that they're going to take over that person's job. And after interviewing and, and collecting a lot of data, they have to actually draw a picture, make a map of that person's job. And set multiple people together, it's actually a team that has to do that. So they can pull their individual perspectives into one image that they all can agree upon. And so map making or pulling together what you learn into a map is part, is part two. And then three, part, step three is you never get it right. We can't ever get reality right. So you have to update your model all the time. Test your ideas and update them. So that map, you have to sort of run some experiments. Is this the right map? If not, then change it. Um, and, of course, this is the hardest thing. The hardest part of sense-making is shifting our mental models of reality. Mental models get very sunk in. And so if you want to be a really good sense-maker, you need to be able to let go of your mental model and let new data and new ideas form and reform the models in your brain. Yes. I remember in your writing that you actually talked about that sort of like one of the risks or dangers uh, to good sense-making is rigidity. Um, and it's been a while since I've read any of Carl Weick's work, but I remember um, him also saying that you have to be able to recognize when you're in a situation where your previous sense-making no longer applies. That's correct. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and this is very hard to do because we tend to collect data that supports our existing viewpoint rather than being open to data that contradicts it. We tend to hire people, it's called homophily, who are like ourselves and who agree with us as opposed to people who disagree with us. And yet the world um, is shifting. We have leaders from Costco who are worried about the their supply chain who are going to um, rainforests in, in Central America to help with existing farming because they're interested in safety of supply of green beans or coffee or whatever. Uh, this is entering a different world, and you cannot go to that new world only with preconceived notions, or you really yeah. don't understand it. Right. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things I think I read in some of your writing on sense-making is that plausibility matters more than accuracy. If, that, if I read that correctly, could, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so it's interesting um, because Carl... Uh, writes about this a lot, um, and it, it's somewhat counterintuitive to those of us who have been sort of trained to find the right answer. Um, and what Carl will argue is spending a lot more time finding the, quote, right answer is a waste of time because, A, you never find the right answer, and, B, having people agree and be motivated by the sense-making that they have made actually is more important 
than having the right answer. And the way to get to the right answer is not originally coming to the right answer. It's by iterating your way to better answers. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Snowden and his Kinefin, uh framework for decision-making, um, but what you just described sounds very similar to what he says about how one actually addresses a genuinely complex problem. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there's one other uh, theme that I thought we would start to explore, um, and that is uh, I, I'm thinking that most of our listeners are not familiar with um, your work in researching uh, effective teams and effective teamwork. Um, so maybe we could start talking a little bit about X teams at this point and what you've learned and what you think might be interesting to our audience. Sure. Um, so um, I started out, I was always interested in teams. So way back when, um, I started looking at what makes for high-performing teams. And I read a huge amount of literature, and we put together some surveys and um, went and studied some sales teams. And lo and behold, all of the theories that had been written about high-performing teams predicted how satisfied team members were, and it predicted how well team members thought they were performing, but the re- relationship between those variables and actual team performance as measured by the net incremental revenue that the teams were bringing in was zero. Zero. <laughs> so this was a little disconcerting, and so I spent the next 15 years, really, maybe 20 years, trying to say, well, what does lead to high performance. So interestingly, I I do this I've done this hundreds of times. I ask executives, managers all over the world, what makes for high team performance? And what they give me is exactly what I studied way back when in those teams. So, clear goals, clear roles, um trust among members, good modes of communication, good modes of collaboration, transparency, uh, norms that are useful for good decision-making, um, on and on in that, in that vein. Um, and what I say to them is, you have just given me the model that's kind of emblazoned in our brain, the model that is written up in all the best-selling texts on teamwork and team building, uh, and the only problem with it is it's only partially right, and so it also can be very, very damaging and wrong. Uh, and the part that's missing that we've discovered through all of this research that we did is the X factor or external team activity, that if you solely look at what teams do within their boundaries, you do not predict performance. Performance means that you can perform both inside your boundaries and outside your boundaries. So X teams are externally active across their boundaries, and they do a lot of that sense-making that I just talked about earlier. They do ambassadorship, which links them up the organizational hierarchy and deals with political issues, getting resources, getting buy-in from upper levels of the organization, linking what a team is doing to the strategy 
at a higher level of the firm. Um, all of those things are what teams need to do across their boundaries. Uh, they have to have a network of support. And then the third aspect is that they need to coordinate with other groups. Seldom does any team have a self-contained task. They have other groups that will provide inputs or take outputs or that have to uh, contribute in some way to the team's output. And so what we call task coordination is a huge part of what teams need to do. You can't sit back and complain, oh, we failed because that other group didn't deliver this component to us. You have to help manage that interaction with that other team. And negotiate. Do all, I mean, these teams that we've seen are unbelievable. One group, they needed to deliver something to a client in November, and the people who installed the equipment said, sorry, we can't get it to you till late December. And they're like, well, we can't wait for then. And they said, well, uh, too bad. That's when you're on the list. And so they said, okay, um, can we trade with someone else? Can we take you over to the client place? They ended up renting a van, taking the installers to the customer premises, buying them pizza, uh, trading off a different project. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into moving an idea, a product, a process, a change forward in an organization. And a lot of that requires this sense-making, ambassadorship, and task coordination. All right. This idea of task coordination um, is, is, is really interesting to me. Um, one of the ideas that I find myself thinking about is that when I notice teams sub-optimizing, it's because they imagine that they know what the other person is thinking or talking about. And so they don't actually work from sufficiently precise and explicit agreements about what to expect from each other. And so they inadvertently generate breakdowns. And I'm thinking that's very close to what you talk about when you talk about task coordination. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And um, when we're working with teams, Sometimes it gets quite detailed, um, and it, it also is related to the sense-making that I spoke about earlier. Um, it's quite – we do these interdependence uh, matrices, and we say, all right, which groups are you interdependent with, and what are your agreements, and test those agreements, and go and see if um, – you're agreed upon what the output is, when it's supposed to be done. I mean, you get to the very simple where, when, why, et cetera. Um, but if teams don't do this, again, we see much higher failure rates. So you can – and there's, there's study after study after study that says that teams that combine this external orientation with you – know, it's not you're throwing out all those things I talked about earlier. The internal is also important. In fact, maybe even more important for a team that's also externally oriented to pull themselves together. Um, but you do have to, to, to do that work that you just talked about. All right. So when we come back in just a moment, what I would like to do um, in our final segment is perhaps take what we've just talked about and be able to apply it to the domain of what leadership coaches do in their professional practice. So we'll talk about that when we return in just a minute. Okay. Sounds good.
Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Well, Deb, this has been fascinating. One of the things I am particularly interested in is how you might be thinking about the application of the 4CAP model and the X-Team research that you've done into how that might be applicable in the work of professional leadership coaches. What might be your thinking about that topic? Well, we are big believers in the coaching process um, and have found it extremely helpful to the leaders that we we work with. Um, And in, in fact, in all of our programs, um, in the MBA program, in our executive MBA program, in what we call the Sloan Fellows program, which are also mid-year um, leaders from around the world, uh, sorry, not mid-year, um, uh, mid-level leaders from around the world, uh, in all of those programs, uh, we introduce the four-cap model. So for us, coaching and giving people some framework to think about leadership 
go very well together. Um, our students really like some kind of framework. Uh, so we do provide 360 data um, from the, the companies or organizations that students work with before they come to us. Um, they get that data right when they come in, and uh, they get assigned uh, a coach uh, who helps them First, by interpreting the data, what what does it say? What do the people telling you? What are the themes? What are strengths? What are weaknesses? Um, so really understanding what the feedback is and what it says. Uh, and then we are very much a strengths-based, um, you know, building on all the positive psychology work um, that's been done uh, in saying, okay, coaches, the way that you can be helpful is helping people, first of all, articulate what you had mentioned earlier, your own leadership signature. There is no one way to lead. You have to lead from your personality, your strengths, your values, um, what you do well. And so let's, let's help people to articulate what do they do well. What is their unique way of leading? Um, you can't necessarily, particularly when you get people who are uh, older, um, you can't change who you are. Actually, I have four kids. I would argue you can't change who you are from pretty early on. But um, So what are your strengths and how do we build on those? Uh, and what are your weaknesses and how can you work on some of those? But also uh, in praise of the incomplete leader, it means we all are incomplete. We all are really good at some things and not so good at others. So in praise of the incomplete leader is accepting that we are all incomplete and that the best way to lead in a distributed way is to find other people who complement your skills. And so that's coaching. Who are you? What do you bring to the table? What do you want to hone? Uh, what is your sweet spot? Um, and again, we start with the four capabilities and this notion of leadership signature, uh, but then we let the conversation move after that. Uh, and so we move from diagnosis to really some visioning, what kind of leader would you want to be, to planning. Okay, so how are you going to get there? It's not that easy to change behavior. Um, so we get very much into having coaches help in several uh, sessions around diagnosis, planning, and visioning, and then how to move forward, and then trying out, again, experimenting with new ways of doing things to improve. Um, this idea of a, of a leadership uh, signature, uh, I'd love to hear you talk more about that because I think it's an idea that um, may not be familiar to our listeners. Well, um, as I said, I mean, the, the, the whole idea of a leadership signature is that, uh, I mean, we show videos of leaders all the time, um, and I can show 10 leaders, but that doesn't mean that the way to become an effective leader is to try to become those people. You can't. So we believe leadership is personal, and personal means this sense that each of us has a unique, authentic way of leading, uh, and the key is to identify what that is. And so um, we might start students off with some cards that we get from the Center for Creative Leadership and say, all right, what kind of leader do you think you are? Um, just no frameworks whatsoever. And then we take people through, again, the 360, so using the four capabilities, what is your 
particular pattern. And then we give people more and more things to say, well, how do you gain credibility with other people? And how do you gain confidence? And what does that mean about the kind of leader that you are? Um, we take people through some very... Um, so I also teach this course on neuroscience and leadership, and what you learn is that things that come from early on are very hardwired in our brains. So um, yeah. part of what we do is have people actually go back to their childhood and look at what Dennis Perkins calls ghosts in the executive suite. What are the patterns from our childhood that we bring into our own leadership signature now that are deeply embedded in who we are? And articulate, do those work for us or don't they work? Or what ways do they work for us and in what ways don't they work for us? Because part of our leadership signatures is how we were raised. We had Eileen Fisher here, um, who's great, by the way. Um, She grew up in a large family. For her, it's instinctive to have a group, to debate all the time. That's her style, and it has been since she grew up in a large family. Um, You know, I could go on and on that leaders' signatures have to do with what they have done through their experiences uh, as well as deep patterns uh, that identify their own way of leading. Right. So it sounds like, again, you know, you are referencing the, let's call it the central importance of of a kind of self-awareness. You know, one of my favorite ways of talking about this is I have a phrase, we are all Pavlov's dog, Um, and that if we can't see our own conditioning history, there's little we can do to change it. And it sounds like you're saying something similar. That's true, yes. Exactly. This is, this, uh, change is, as I said, not easy, so you have to sort of look pretty deeply. Yeah. Um, now, how about um, for our listeners, um, if they want to learn more about you and learn more about your work, uh, what kind of options are available to them? Um, you know, uh, are there courses at the Leadership Development Center? Are there books and publications and things like that that you'd like to alert them to? Uh, sure. There are all of the above. I um, I teach it at the MIT Sloan School. Um, most of that is for our own students, but we do have open enrollment programs um, in the executive education department. One is called Transforming Your Leadership Strategy, which is a two-day program really honing these four-cap, learning about the four-cap model. Uh, we also have a two-day program on neuroscience for leadership, uh, which luckily for everybody is taught not just with me but with a neuroscientist um, because I wouldn't assume that I could teach a course otherwise. Um, and so those are sort of courses that are available. Um, there's also the article in Praise of the Incomplete Leader, which is a Harvard Business Review case that is readily available. Um, there is also a chapter on the model um, that's in a book, um, Managing for the Future, Um there's also an article on X-Teams, The Comparative Advantage of X-Teams, which is a, hard, it's a Sloan Management Review article. Um, and, and there's a book by the same title, too, as well, right? And a book called X-Teams. Oh, no, I, I should know what, what the name of that book is. Um, <laughs> X-Teams, um, How to Lead, Innovate, and Succeed. 
that's uh, Harvard Business School Press. You could get it on Amazon or any of the big um, uh, sellers of, of books. Um, we have a new chapter uh, on this notion of distributed leadership, which is in a book called Leading Sustainable Change, an organizational perspective that just came out uh, by Oxford University Press, uh, edited by Rebecca Henderson, Ron J. Galati, and Michael Tushman. Um, so that would be uh, a window into the realm of distributed leadership. Um, and there is also uh, an article on uh, sense-making uh, that um, is also in an edited uh, book uh, that uh, is available. Uh, so you can just Google. If you Google me, uh, Deborah Ancona, A-N-C-O-N-A, then all of those things will, will pop. Terrific. Um, well, I think we're going to be running out of time in just a moment, Deb. Um, I, again, I, I just want to express my appreciation for your willingness to make yourself available and be in this interview. Um, is there any uh, last thoughts you'd like to say before we wrap this interview up? Um, only that, you know, this is our... Uh, way of thinking about leadership, and it's been very helpful to our students, um, but we certainly don't think it's the only way. I, I think, you know, there are many great models out there and many great ways for people to assess themselves and think about their own leadership and move in a positive direction. So, um so I would just like to say that thank everybody for listening. And, uh, again, this is one way to to look at this process, um, which is actually something that we get a lot of um, satisfaction uh, from as we watch people uh, developing and changing. Well, thank you very much. So this is Neil Stroll from the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. Thank you for listening, and have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.